Hi, you're listening to my mom, Kat Lee, on the Inspired to Action podcast. Hey, can I listen to it? Hey, my name is Kat Lee, and I want to welcome you to the Inspired to Action podcast. I hope this show is the pep talk that you need as a mom, a reminder that what you do every day is life-changing, and it matters more deeply than you could ever imagine. Out of all the women in the world, God chose you to be the mother of your children because you are special and amazing and he has called you and he will equip you. So thank you for serving your family, for loving your children fearlessly and for fighting to be a great mom. This episode is for you. Let's jump right in. Hey friends, this is Kat Lee and I just want to say thank you. You could be spending your time a million different ways right now, and you're allowing me to join you, and I am just so grateful. And I think that you're going to be grateful, too, after you hear today's guest. She really inspired me. I actually interrupted her halfway through the interview because I was enjoying our conversation so much and asked her if we could just go longer. I needed to make sure she had the time. And so I wanted to share more of her story with you. Her name is Heather Avis, and she's the mother of three, all by adoption, and two of her children have Down syndrome. And it's really the story of how her plans and God's plans started out a little bit differently, but God took her to a place that she knows she was always meant for and a place that He is using her powerfully in the lives of other people. So before we get into our little conversation with Heather, though, I have two fun announcements for you. The first one is that we have a new podcast. That's right, a brand new podcast called Hello Mornings, and it's all about building a morning routine. And it's a podcast I'm doing with my friend Heather McFadden. You might know her from the God-Centered Mom podcast. She has been a friend of mine for a while, and we get together and chat about how we can build our morning routines. Uh, we're going to have interviews with people. We're going to share Hello Mornings stories of people who have kind of built their morning routine and how they're doing it and what struggles they have and and what tips they have. It's I'm I'm really excited about it. And y'all, so we launched it, uh, I guess, a couple days ago. It hit number two in the religion and spirituality category in all of iTunes. And it was like number 130-something in all of iTunes. That's insane. So I hope you'll go and check it out. I'd love for you to be a part of that podcast as well. Uh, my second announcement is that coming up is the Ultimate Homemaking Bundle. I don't know if you've heard about this, but it's basically my friends Ryan and Stephanie Langford have put together a bundle of amazing resources for moms. Obviously, it's called the Ultimate Homemaking Bundle. And it's 106 different products, including 21 e-courses, 50 e-books, 14 printables, and more all about how to bring order to your home, how to build a great a self-care routine, how to deal with your kids or, or improve your marriage, all kinds of stuff. Now, I know that some of you might be thinking, okay, that sounds great, but really overwhelming. I totally get that. So what I'm, I'm going to be doing in the next couple of weeks is pointing out a couple of key resources that I think will be especially useful for you. One of them is the Inspired to Action Planner. So if you've been wanting that, this could be a good way to get it. Go to inspiredtoaction.com forward slash bundle to learn more about it and be notified when it is ready. All right. Now let's get into our chat today with Heather Avis. Heather, thank you so much for being on the show today. Hi, Kat. Thank you so much for having me. 
you know, um, the internet is awesome until the internet is not awesome. <laughs> we have been texting back and forth and Skyping back and forth trying to get this interview scheduled. And I am so glad that it worked out because honestly, your story is different from, uh, I think, any other story that I've had on the Inspired Action podcast. And I have actually gotten so many emails about just so many aspects of your life and your story, maybe not you in particular, but from moms in similar similar situations and really wanting a podcast that spoke to to their situation. And so I'm excited to have you on today. Awesome. Thank you so much. Excited to be here. So your story is very powerful and really kind of, well, at the center of it, of course, is God. But um, yes. right, right outside <laughs> of that is your family. So I'd love for you to introduce us to them a little bit. Sure. I am married to the man of my dreams. Um, we've been married for 13 years, maybe 14 this year. You sound like yeah. me. <laughs> I feel like once we get in the teens until it's like 15, 20, I don't totally know. I'm not great with those kinds of details. I'm always um, jealous of the people who got married in the year 2000 because they oh, always right? know exactly how long they were married. <laughs> so you were married 2002. So I guess you have to do math. 15, yeah. 14, whatever. So we've been married a while. We met when we were super young and he's lovely. His name is Josh. He's wonderful, an incredible dad, incredible husband. And we have three kids. Um, all three of our kids came to us via adoption. Our eldest is eight. She's going to be nine in June. Her name is Mason Hope and she has Down syndrome. Our middle daughter is Truly Star and she will be six next week. And, um, or on Sunday, she'll be six in a few days. And she is a little firecracker world changer in the making. And our young, she doesn't have special needs. Our youngest is three. His name is August Riker. And um, he also has Down syndrome. So that's just like the real quick picture of who we are. I love it. And, and does Mason sometimes go by Macy? Because I know your Instagram account is Macy Makes My Day. Yes, she does. And we spell her name M-A-C-Y-N. So just sometimes, like, especially for Instagram, it just was easier to be Macy. And we call her Macy as much as we call her Mason. Either name is great. Got it. I love your name selections. Thanks. Are there were, are there any special stories behind those names or they're just gorgeous? Yeah, a little bit. Um, Mason, when we, we struggled with infertility and we were trying for years and years to have kids and uh, our pastor at the time, last name was Mason, and we really loved it. I love a masculine name for a girl. And so we knew if it was a boy or a girl, we would name the baby Mason um, and preferred it for a girl. And then Hope, we were just in a season of hope um, when she entered our lives. It was just this word that we held to so tightly. So it just felt fitting for her middle name. And then Truly, we just loved the name. I loved the name True. Um but I felt like I wanted something longer. And then I heard someone say truly once for a name and it, I thought that's it. And when we found out about her, when our social worker called my husband, I called my husband and said, Oh my gosh, there's a baby girl. And then he said, is it truly? I said, it's truly. And mm -hmm. her middle name is star. My older sister's middle name is star. Um, so they share that. And then August, we didn't, when we found out about him, we didn't have a name picked. Um, we were like going back and forth and my dad on a phone call, he's like, what about August? And my husband was in the room. I said, what about August? And we both like, we love it. We were sold. And we asked his birth mom to give him his middle name. And she chose Riker, which, we, which we love. Yeah. I love that. That's how they got their names. So you, you, you mentioned a little bit about your journey before the kids came into your lives. Take us into that story. You got married pretty young. 
Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, take it, take, kind of take it from there and, and, and the journey that took you to bringing Macy home. Yeah, we were pretty young. I was 20 and my husband was 23 and I had a year left of school, of college. And then we graduated and we just felt like we could do anything we want. We moved to Hawaii, one-way tickets, got jobs, thought we lived there forever and forever ended up just being six months. Came back to California, got real jobs and then decided... I was probably 23, 24. We wanted to start a family. And I think um, the majority of people starting a family think that you try to get pregnant and you will get pregnant. If not the first time, maybe within a few months. And that just wasn't our case. So we went a few months, turned into more months, turned into a few years and just found ourselves on this infertility roller coaster that no one expects to be on. I think anyone who has been on it or is on it knows the pain that it entails. There's no way you can know if you haven't been on that journey. And we saw specialists and we went as far as, um, and every specialist we saw, it led to a new question. So it was like, okay, oh, we have so much hope. This might be what it is. Now go see this doctor and we'd see that doctor. And then the doctor would say, oh, now we know about ABC, but now we don't know about DEF. And so now see this doctor. And it just kept every, um, every little ounce of hope we had just, we felt like it was slipping, slipping, slipping until I finally met with my OBGYN and got this stamp of infertility on my life that there's no way I can have children naturally. Uh, he said in vitro fertilization was the only way that we could maybe be able to carry children ourselves. And so we found ourselves at a crossroad of in vitro or adoption. Um, and we chose adoption. IVF felt too invasive for me at the time. Um, I just, I feel like the journey to that point had just been too much emotionally, physically, all the things. And so the thought of doing that times a hundred with in vitro fertilization, I just thought there's no way. And adoption had been something we had chatted about. Never seriously. We never really thought we'd adopt, but it was like, yeah, we'll adopt. That sounds cool. So it had been in our minds. Um, and we just, that's where we ended up headed. So you talk a little bit about in your, in your book, you talk about just the, really the pain of going through infertility and seeing other people, um, you know, either at at church people saying, Oh, there's something in the water or, (laughs) or other people like the, a student that you mentioned that, um, just very easily got pregnant. Mm -hmm. Uh, what would, I know there's probably a lot of moms, uh, listening that have been through that exact Mm -hmm. same journey for the ones who haven't been through that journey or the ones that are now on the other side of that journey, what can they say to women going through that process? What, what encouragement, what support can they give? And and maybe what shouldn't they say? Yeah, that's such a great question. And it is, I recognize that it is a person by person personality. There's so many layers to it, but um, people would mean well. And I understood that, but even comments like, you should just try and then it'd be fill in the blank. You should just try eating this or why don't you just relax? And that was one thing. A lot of people said, you just need to relax. You just need to relax more. Just stop thinking about it. Stop trying. And that comment just felt um, really insensitive because that's not how our bodies work. That's not how like how babies are made or not made. (laughs) And so um, I think the thing that really what all I needed in that season was for someone to say to me, this must be so hard. I'm so sorry. And then give me a hug. Like I just needed people to agree with me. This is the worst. This is awful. I'm so sorry you're going through this. And that was it because the solutions just, 
didn't work. They weren't real things. And, and every solution someone had given me or possible solution I had tried, I tried it all and it's just not how babies are made. And so, um, I think that it, yeah, just to, to know who you're talking to. And if it's not someone you're super close to, if you just want to be encouraging, I really think an encouraging thing to say is just, this must be so hard. I'm so sorry. I'm going to be praying for you and leave it at that. That's so good. I feel like it so often goes against not everyone's, but a lot of people's personalities. We're like, okay, how can we yeah. fix it? How can we make yeah. it better? Here's the, here's the secret magic trick that I heard somewhere on the internet. Totally. Uh, and it's, yeah. And the truth is the woman going through the infertility has tried every single trick in the book to fix it. There is mm-hmm. not, I mean, just the truth is you're not offering a new piece of information. Trust me. That person who wants to get pregnant is desperate to be pregnant and has tried it all and is trying it all. Yeah. And maybe keep- I was gonna say, and then maybe the, there's moms listening right now that maybe they've already had a baby, but mm-hmm. they're wanting to have more. And so they're going through this process again. What encouragement would you give them in this journey? Going through the process of infertility again. So maybe they've had one, but they're wanting to have a big family and it's just not happening. Yeah. One thing that I just encourage people with is to hold on to your plans real loosely and kind of like a posture of open fists to God. And so you want to grow your family and God knows that and he loves you and cares for you and the desires of your heart more than you could ever imagine. And so to hold on to that real loosely that, I mean, for us, it looked like adoption and that is a real option for people. Um, and to, to just continue to hold on to hope and to know that you're not forgotten, that God's goodness and his bigness do not hinge on your ability to get pregnant or not. He is God. He is good. He is big period. And to hold on to that, even if you're holding on slightly. And then, like I said, just have those, that posture of, okay, God, this is what I want, but I'm open to what you have for me in the way that my family grows. Was that an easy point for you to get to, or were you ever at a point where you were angry with him? <laughs> it was not an easy point to get to at all. No, it was years. I mean, it was a, a long, ugh, awful journey. And it's funny now because I can't hardly remember how, how hard it was. Um, I know I can think back to moments as literally laying on my bed hysterically crying, shaking my fist at God. So angry. Like this is so unfair, especially when um, I was teaching high school at the time and my students, my high school students, so many of them were pregnant and or were having abortions. And I just thought, you've got to be kidding God. This is so unfair. I am in a healthy marriage, financially stable. I will be an awesome mom. Like everything that someone should have in place to deserve a child, I had it. And but I just had to, it was a journey. It's just a journey. And God's grace followed me every step of the way. And I feel like with every fist shake I had towards him, he just like was patting me on the head gently, um, not condescendingly, just like, I love you. It's fine. Feel mad, feel all the things you need to feel and keep walking towards me, keep walking towards me, keep walking towards me. Now I know there's so many details in the middle of this, but I feel like this is a good point to ask do you see, can you look back on it all and see the redemption in it? Can you see the story that God saw yet? Or is that still a process in the making? No, I see it. I see it just like in flashing lights, neon lights <laughs> above my head or everywhere. I, every time I look at my children's faces, I mean, um, there's no possible way my 24, 25, 26 year old self could have understood 
what my life would be like today, what her life would be, um, and how good that would be. There's no way I could have seen this picture of where I am now and appreciated it. I had to get here through the journey, which I think is how it is for all of us. God had to take me through. I had to be refined. I had to gain wisdom, which is gained through suffering. And so all these things had to happen, but I would not trade this for um, being able to birth as many children as I could. Like I'm, I'm so unbelievably grateful for God's grace in my life that I landed where I landed with the three children that I have who came from different, whose parent, like birth families came from different parts of the world. And then they're in my arms and I'm their mom. I'm, I mean, I, it blows my mind. It blows my mind how he has redeemed all of it, how I was desperate to be a mom. And I am a mom three times over to the coolest kids on the planet. And I, um, I would not trade the outcome for anything in the world. I'm so thankful that he continued to push. And you know, if the journey had been easy, you would never be at this place where you're encouraging and inspiring so many people in their own journeys and in expanding their horizons into what their journeys and their futures could look like. Yeah. Yeah. I know it blows my mind. And I, um, in the end of my book, I, I have this idea of like a ripple effect and I've talked about it in different things I've written before, but that, um, we have like an opportunity to throw a pebble into real murky water and then like how a ripple, it ripples to the it, to the shore and then it ripples back. Um, and how, yeah, I had, I had no clue that by God's goodness and grace over my life and me saying yes to our kids and yes to adoption and yes to down syndrome, the ripple effect that that is, has had and is having, and is going to have all for his glory by his mm-hmm. grace. But mm-hmm. it blows my mind. The letters I get from moms and future moms and college students who are like changing the course of their life because of reading our story. It's just incredible what God's able to do when we let him do it. I love it. You know, I can kind of relate. Our our situations are very different in one sense, but very same in another sense. So my story is that I never knew my mom. She died when I was a baby. And, okay. um, and so you know, this motherhood journey has just been something you know, I never thought I'd understand the mother daughter mm-hmm. relationship. And now I have two girls and a little boy. And um, I just love seeing God's redemption in the whole journey. If I had, if I'd had an easy story in the beginning, then motherhood would have just been something that I t- had taken for granted. And mm-hmm. instead, it's been something that I just see such deep nobility in. And I just love encouraging moms and trying to inspire them in this journey and helping them see just the you know, how priceless they are and how powerful an, an impact that they can have. And I would not be in this place had I not gone through what I went through yeah. when I was little. Um, there's yeah. one line in your book that especially spoke to me that I'm like, man, I, that's what I always wished I had. And mm-hmm. that's what I want to be for my children. You talked about how um, full of grace your mother was. And, and you said <laughs> that all while growing up, you would step in the puddles of her grace. And I'm just like, oh, that's like the best line ever. <laughs> <laughs> that's just going to be stuck in my head. I'm like, oh, I want my kids to step in the puddles of my grace. Um, I love that so much. Thanks. Yeah, no, my mom's incredible. And I look back on my childhood and I just, when I think of her, I just think of goodness and sweet. I just think of like sweetness. Her name is actually Honey, which is appropriate. Oh. But I just think of sweetness. And it's just, yeah, I don't, I feel like I could do no wrong for her is kind of how it feels. So, Well, that right there totally inspires me. <laughs> Okay, so let's back up a little bit. So you were facing infertility and you had the choice between in vitro and adoption. Um, And then, so yeah, just take us there. So what what made you choose adoption? And then how did you go about the process 
of bringing Macy home? Was that, you know, they gave you choices or what is, mm-hmm. what does that look like? Right. So we decided on adoption, just like I said, because IVF wasn't an option mm-hmm. and not having kids wasn't an option. So then adoption was the most likely option. And then, um, this was about 10 years ago when we started the process. And I know a lot of people have adopted now, but 10 years ago, I didn't know a single person who had adopted. So it just felt like, what do we do? And I had been online. Do we do international? Which countries? Local? Like I just had no idea where to start. And so one of my coworkers' sons, I had found out, um, had adopted two of his, his two kids and they invited us over for dinner. And just this, we just had this beautiful night with them where we just looked at what felt so um, different and scary and unknown was just a normal family. And it didn't matter that the kids looked different than them. It didn't matter that they didn't have the same DNA. They were just a family. And so we left there really encouraged and ended up using the same adoption agency that they had used. And we went with a private agency because we just wanted a healthy infant. So even though we were allowing God to grow our family in a way that felt different than what our plans were, I was still, we still were trying to hold on to a lot of the control. We just wanted a healthy baby. And a private agency is, um, like a local private agency is your best bet for a healthy baby. And we fill out all the paperwork and you check off these check sheets. Anyone who's adopted knows that it's like, it's just pretty wild because it's everything you thought of. And then 1 million things you've never even heard (laughs) of that you have to say, yes, I'll take this. Maybe, I don't know. Um, and so we went through and filled out the check seats and then you just feel like a horrible person because you're like checking no to so many things. Mm. <laughs> you're like, I don't know. I don't <laughs> think I could do this. Um, and we ended up on a waiting list and, and then we got this phone call uh, or an email actually it was in passing from our social worker and, um, uh, my husband and I were in Europe at the time and she was just like letting us know that, that how the things were happening in the agency and, she said, you know, we have a couple of babies with Down syndrome who are placed with us. Your profile has been viewed once. Hang in there. And God just did something in my heart instantly. And I was pretty bummed about it because I just knew. I think that I can look back now and know in that moment I was going to adopt this baby. But it was months, a couple of months of no, 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 no. This is not going to happen. Um, of fighting it and believing, like trying to believe that it wasn't going to be the case for us. So we just went back and forth, back and forth, like trying to do pros and cons. Do we like, what do we do now that we know that this child is available? It's one of those like ignorance is bliss. If we just never knew mm-hmm. we could have just gone on with what we thought would be best for us. But then that then we knew and we couldn't ignore it. Um, so we, we just stepped, kept taking little steps towards her and we ended up saying yes to adopting her. And then, like for the next morning, freaking out <laughs> and then saying, okay, okay, we'll do it. And then freaking out. Um, but then we ended up having like our final, yes, we're going to do this moment. And, and she came home a couple weeks later. Um, and it was amazing. She's incredible. So yeah, she has down syndrome. She had a congenital heart defect. So she required open heart surgery a month after coming home. And she How had already, was she? Had, she was three months old when she came home. Um, she had already had a heart surgery, not open heart, but another kind, um, when she was six weeks old. So before she was ours. And then a month later at four months old, she had her open heart surgery. She was on oxygen 24 seven. She had a really rare lung condition that required her to be on oxygen and medication. So we were saying yes to some really scary things Mm -hmm. that felt unbelievably foolish because we could say no. 
Um, it's one thing I think if you give birth to a child and it, this happens, but we also had this option to say no. So it really was God's grace. That's really my only explanation that he kept pushing us towards her. And then we brought her into our life and it was just amazing. I mean, I couldn't, the oxygen didn't matter. The medication didn't matter. Yes. These things were, became a pain because it was for a couple of years. Um, but it was like, I was a mom. And that's all I wanted. And she needed a mom and she was my daughter and our bond was instant, which is really such a blessing for an adoption. And she was just, yeah, she was amazing. It was awesome. So did you know anyone who was raising a child with Down syndrome or severe heart issues? So how, how did, you know, first of all, it's, you know, the journey of becoming a parent Mm-hmm. which is, you know, shocking enough as it yeah. is. Um, but then secondly, you know, you're stepping into things that are unknown to you, I'm, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. How, what was that transition like? How, what kind of, you know, resources or community did you have around you to help you transition? Yeah, I actually was teaching special education at the time. And like when we, before we had kids and I was teaching high school, but I was working in a living skills program. So I had some of my students who had Down syndrome who had had, congenital heart defects and had surgery. So I remember talking to their moms and it had been years for them because they were now young adults and teenagers and they had had surgeries as infants, but their moms were really sweet. Um, and then just seeing them as adults with their families was really special. Um, I had that. And then we, we just real quickly, it's very cool in the down syndrome world because we're just a tribe and it doesn't matter anything else in our lives that are so different don't matter when we have this one thing in common that we have a child with down syndrome. There's such this tribe mentality. That's been such a gift. So I just started making friends. Like I was my first really good friend. We were in line at Panera and she, her son is six months older than my daughter. And it was like, we make eye contact and then we end up eating together and then we end up hanging out all the time. And we just, there were a couple more relationships like that. We developed these little play groups of moms in the same situation um, in terms of down syndrome and then with heart surgery, I think like you just do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't know any parents who were in it, um, with little ones. I just knew the ones who had been through it as adults or whose kids were now adults at the time. But God just gave you the grace for where he was taking you. Yeah. I think that any mom who's listening, who you have a sick kid, um, or your child has required lots of surgeries or things like that you just do it. You don't have another option. And so you wake up and you do what needs to be done to take care of your kid, like all mamas are doing um, in the little things, but also in the big things. And I remember my husband and I in the hospital with her. Um, she was there for five nights. And I remember us just having this moment, uh, maybe halfway through looking at each other, like uh, pretty amazed at us, knowing that it was all God's grace, but mm. like, wow we're pretty, we're doing this and we're not freaking out and we're not melting on the ground, which is fine. If you need to do that as a parent, you know, like do what you need to do and have those moments. But we're like, wow, we're awesome. (laughs) I don't know if that sounds braggy, but just like, you just do it. You have to do it. And then I was just amazed at the, I'm amazed at, um, how strong mamas can be when they Mm -hmm. need to be. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. So how did truly come to you? Um, my little truly star, it was a couple months or a couple years later, we just decided to grow our family. And at this point, Mason had been cured from her lung disease and off of oxygen. And, uh, we, our attitude had changed towards adoption and towards what, like what our child will look like and who our child will be. So we went with our local County 
because county adoptions are free. So that was the right price tag. I'd been a stay-at-home mom at that time. And um, we also knew that we would take any child basically in the world. So we went in like mm-hmm. the check sheet that we had checked no to so many things. With our first adoption, we were pretty wide open. Like any baby, we'll take them all. And knowing that God was going to give us the child he had for us no matter what, um, no matter what we checked. And so we end up getting this phone call about a little girl whose birth mother is Guatemalan, birth father's unknown, and um, are we? And she's five months old. And she, at the time, and she didn't have any health issues, totally healthy, no drug exposure in utero, which is like unheard of for a county adoption. And she, there's some birth family history stuff that's heavy, but but it didn't deter us. So we said yes to her and she came home a few weeks later, almost six months old. Wow. That's so fast for an adoption. Yeah. It it had been a year and a half between the time we started our paperwork and and we got the phone call about her. Yeah. But once we got the phone call, as soon as in an adoption, it's like, wait, 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 like hurry, hurry, wait, hurry, hurry, wait. (laughs) And there's a lot of waiting, but then it is like you get the call and you're picking a baby up the next day or the next week or in a couple weeks. Well, and you you were sort of an old hand at this point because you'd already done it once. So you kind of knew the drill. I'm sure that was a bit more shocking the first time around. Yeah. Yeah. But once we knew about her, we were, yeah, we're ready to, mm-hmm. we were ready to go pick her up that next day. And we had to wait a few weeks just for logistics and things. Um, yeah. And August? And then when, when we found out about August, we started the process again. And I was in a season for those mamas out there who have littles and my girls were five and two and... Um, or yeah, five and two and a half. And it was just, I was in it. I just feel like when my kids, when your kids are that little, they're just needy all the time, nonstop requiring everything of me. And, um, I felt at maximum capacity, but we knew we wanted to grow our family. So we started the process and our plan was a year from then, like it'd be a year to a year and a half and we'd be ready then whatever ready means as a parent. And, um, (laughs) and then we went and did the whole thing. And the next day, my girlfriend saw that we had gone and started the process for the next adoption and called me and told me about this birth mom who had contacted her, who was having a bait, who just got an in utero diagnosis for down syndrome and a congenital heart defect. And we should adopt this baby. And then that was like a, uh, no way. A, we weren't expecting another child with down syndrome or a congenital heart defect. And B, there was no way I was ready for a child in that season. And then two months later, our son was born. <laughs> And we brought him home. Yeah. So that, and it was a really beautiful, um, painful and beautiful journey with birth mom. Those two months Mm. was pretty, pretty incredible. Okay. So a question that I have with all of just the new roads that you took and the twists and the turns in your journey, how did this impact your marriage? Did it make it stronger? Did it strain it? Did it do a little bit of both? Um, it actually just made it stronger and I'm really thankful for that. And I know that's not the case always in adoptions and having children with special needs, but my husband and I were just on the same page the whole time. And with us, again, this felt like God's grace in our lives. When I was freaking out, he was super strong. And then we would reverse those roles and we, we recognized it too. Like I'd be like, we can't do this. I'm freaking out. I can't do any of this. And he would just call me down remind me of all the things I need to be reminded of. And then vice versa, he'd be freaking out and be like, babe, we got this. God's got this. So it really just made us stronger. Um, yeah, he's such a good guy, such a good dad. So what are the, some of the unique challenges that your family faces just in general? 
Yes. Um, a couple of things. Our, so our middle daughter is a different race than us. Birth mom is Guatemalan and um, we found out birth dad is African-American. So she looks like she's African-American. And we are white, both of us. Um, she also is a middle child, which I am. So I have so much love and um, grace for her in that because I think it's a real thing. And her two siblings have Down syndrome. Um, her two siblings know their birth mothers. We don't know anything about her birth mother. We don't have a picture. We have nothing. So that is, we're in that right now. She's only five and she asks a lot of questions about that. Um, but we have moved so that we are living in a community that um, looks more like her, uh, doing life with people who look like her. Um, so we try to be real intentional about that and being around families who have white parents with black kids so that she's not the only one who's like that. Uh, but we, that's just something that we find ourselves face to face with in hard ways from time to time with her questions and that we always will. Um, she's always going to be the child in the family and the person in the family who looks different than the rest of us. And we celebrate that, but also recognize that there's some, some hardship for that for her, um, in terms of identity and things, but we trust, we're trusting God with that. And then with our oldest and our youngest, um, I guess the best way to put it is we just continue to live in a world where down, where down syndrome is viewed as a terrible thing. And, um, I think like people who think, well, no, not really. I don't think so. I always say, well, if you found out you were going to have a child with down syndrome, what's your initial reaction? Um, and I think the majority of people would be really upset and pretty devastated because that's, that's basically how it's, how it is responded too. Mm-hmm. That sentence, yeah, that sentence wasn't great. Um, so we recognize that when our children with Down syndrome step out of our front door and into the world, they're stepping into a world that doesn't necessarily seem their worth, see their worth, um, and into a world that maybe doesn't know what to do with them. Uh, so we are spending every day at some point trying to shout their worth and try to change the narrative, the Down syndrome narrative in our society. Um, let people recognize that it's only ever a good thing and yeah. And that God's created them just as they are. So it is challenges and like all extra, anything extracurricular school, um, church, all the things. So if you could say one thing to the world as you just <laughs> referred to it, um, and how they view children with down syndrome, what would be the, the one thing or the primary thing that you would say to change that perspective or what perspective do you wish that they had? Gosh, I don't even know how to answer this concisely. Um, you don't I, have to be concise. Yeah. Uh, I, I want people to see my children and people with Down syndrome as valuable and as people who have something to offer, um, just like everybody else. So that people with Down syndrome aren't just there for us to help them or feel sorry for them or create space or just like, you know, create things for them to do, but that people with Down syndrome have as much to offer us and as much to offer the world as we do. And so I think if we can shift and recognize that about people with Down syndrome, then we will create the spaces that they need in like the workforce and in schools um, that the goal shouldn't be to help people with Down syndrome be less Down syndrome or have less Down syndrome, because that's not a real thing, but that we allow them to be exactly who they are and 
celebrate exactly who they are and recognize that we need them, that the world needs them, that we need to be in relationship with people who have Down syndrome, learning from them, not just receive, not just teaching and offering help. Are there, um, I can't, I can't think of the word, the only word that's coming to mind, are there sparkles? That's totally bad. Not the word I'm looking for of this happening in the world. Are there little examples? Sparkles, just call them sparkles. I just love that. Of that happening in the world, in society, in culture that, that you have seen that has been encouraging. Yeah. And I think I actually love that you use that word sparkles. It's sort of totally appropriate Um, because what I'm finding is in the, in the small relationships, um, like we have a couple, my daughter's in second grade. And her general education teacher, she spends part of her day in general ed, part of her day in special ed. Her general education teacher is incredible and doing these amazing things in the classroom um, where like, like the sparkle that you're saying that she just recently, I just have to share this one story. Um, for World Down Syndrome Day, they made this poster, her classroom did, that's, it's called Mason's Meadow. And it's all the kids' handprints that look like flowers. And it says, we love you. And she's the whole reason they made it is because, and I quote her, Mason's taught us. Oh, I'm not quoting now because I forgot exactly what word, but <laughs> we've learned so much from Mason or she's taught us to grow so much. Mm-hmm. We've grown so much because of her. Maybe that's what it is. But it, I mean, that is so sparkly that it's like, oh my gosh, that this teacher and all of the students recognize that having Mason in their classroom has been such a gift of growth for them. Um, and obviously for Mason, but such a gift of growth for them. So those things are happening. However, they're happening in systems that are totally broken, that there's nowhere for my daughter to fit. So mm-hmm. when it comes to the, the overall school system, the school system has no clue what to do with kids with Down syndrome. They are not the cog that can easily fit inside the system. So relationally, one-on-one, these small, sweet little moments happen. But the big systems are where it's really gets really tricky and we can't avoid, you know, like it is if our kids are in school or they go to church or we want them to be in gymnastics class. um, It's those bigger systems where society just doesn't really know what to do. So you don't have to answer this question, but I'm just curious. (laughs) You're all nervous now. What should should I ask? (laughs) What would what would your perfect system look like? Like, like what would it look like for her to go to school or be involved in gymnastics? What's broken? And if you could just magically make it sparkle and happen, what would it look like? Um, that's such a good question. I, so I don't know detail wise, or I I just, we're just dreaming. It doesn't have to be realistic. (laughs) Um, I want the way that I think of it in my head is I want the, Every, everything she steps into that there's already a place for her so that people aren't surprised by Down syndrome, that the exposure has already happened, that like when Mason walks into gymnastics, for example, it's like, oh, awesome. Sure, start. And she just starts. And we don't have to worry about is she going to behave correctly is she, like, or the way that everyone else is. Can she do this certain skill or not? If she can't do a certain skill, how are they going to respond to that? But that we live in this world where people just naturally are inclined to respond in the appropriate way or um, respond in a way of saying, I'm not sure what to do here. I'm so excited to learn mm-hmm. rather than, oh, we don't know what to do. We we can't do this or rather than rejection or rather than like a lot of the special things put in place, even in the school system, like the special classes, all these things were well intended, but it's not working for people with Down syndrome. They need to be included fully as they are, not, not with an expectation for them to be more or different or 
quote unquote better or normal. Right. So I want the systems to open like arms wide open. You're awesome, Mason. Come, we're going to learn together. You're going to teach me. I'm going to teach you. We're going to figure it out together. Let's do this. Is kind of what I want the reaction to be rather than, ah, we have to put A, B, C, D through Z in place. And I don't know if it can work and she can't read. And so what are we going to do about that? And if she can't write her name, then she can't do that. So I don't know. Does that I love it. No, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> so if we broke that down to a personal individual level, how can, you know, moms at the playground or classmates or, you know, kids at church or moms at church mm-hmm. respond in an appropriate way? What, what do we do that we shouldn't do? What should we do that you wish we did? That probably yeah. makes sense, but. No, it makes total sense. It makes total sense. And, and I walk into all those, every single one of those scenarios with my like mama bear ears up. Like what, like how are people going to respond? I walk in every time we walk into the church, parks, schools, all of it. I'm like on my guard because people don't know how to respond. So I, I will, I love it when kids are, kids are curious and it's the best. They're so sweet and they're so curious. And so like a tangible example we're at the park and Mason is going to be in your space and she wants to know your name and she wants to know what you're doing and she would love to touch your hair, but we're teaching her that that's not appropriate. She really loves people's hair and, or like she'll, she'll get up in your face and kids will get nervous or uncomfortable. And I love when a mom is like steps in, like, what's your name? Let's play this together. Or, um, I think that teaching our kids to be okay around kids who are different but that's only going to happen if you're around kids who are different. Mm-hmm. Um, letting them know that it's okay to feel uncomfortable initially, but let's keep developing these relationships with people who are different than us. I think adults, we're in a relationship with someone who's different. It's uncomfortable initially. And we need to keep developing those relationships so we understand better um, that it's okay if there's a little bit of drool or for tongue sticking out. Those things are okay. They're not going to hurt anybody. And to make sure that she's included. So I would love at the park, especially if parents like pulled their kids aside and said, let's find a game that we can all play together where it's not like she's tagging along or can barely, barely fit into what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think parents need to have the conversations with their kids. The, the, the word that sticks out to me as you're sharing is just the word engage that yeah. just in every situation, just to engage instead of being like, er, I don't know what to do. Let's, you know, not make eye contact or let's, totally. you know, whatever, uh, but just to engage. Now, would you say that you obviously not representative of all moms with mm-hmm. children with Down syndrome, but would you say that's the general thing so that a mom listening to this podcast isn't going to head off to the park <laughs> and then engage and then have the mom be totally mad at her? Uh, or would yeah. you say you're pretty average as far as your response? Oh, gosh, Kat. Um, <laughs> I, I want to say I'm average because of other moms I've talked to. Okay, um, that's good enough. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm also, I'm such an open book. And so I would love for the mom to come up to me and say, like the mom who doesn't know what to do to say, I would be so fine with the mom saying, I don't know what to do right now. Can you give me some help? I would be so fine with that. But you also have to recognize that those of us who have kids with with, uh, Down syndrome or disabilities, we are fighting this fight in every part of our life. So if you catch us on the wrong moment, um, just have grace for us because you don't know what happened an hour ago when we were at the doctor's office or when we picked our kid up from school or whatever. So um, if a mother or if a parent does react like, ah, why do you say that? Just have some grace and don't let it deter you from the next time. So That's good. So, good. <laughs> so you've actually written a book about your whole story. Uh, tell us about that book. 
yes, I wrote a book called The Lucky Few, and it takes you through um, meeting my husband up through all the way till to current day, pretty much with all the adoptions and infertility and birth parent stories and things. And um, it was just this incredible opportunity I was given to get to basically put my heart on paper and share this story with the world. So it's out right now um, for people to purchase. Yeah. And who does the lucky few refer to and why did you use that phrase? Yes, I started the phrase the lucky few. I started as a hashtag on Instagram. Our Instagram account, Macy Makes My Day, um, we've got a pretty big following. So we started that and it the lucky few hashtag is kind of taken off in the Down syndrome world in that few of us have kids with Down syndrome and those of us who do are very lucky. But in writing the book and in just in living my life, recognizing that it goes so much bigger than that, that it's more this idea that God's calling all of us to these places that are far from these paths that we've created for ourselves. And it's usually in the wilderness and in the muck and the mud of life where there's so much beauty to be found, where God is waiting for us to discover him in those regard, in that regard. And for those of us who step off of our path that we've wanted to walk on off the easy path and into the wilderness and into the muck, um, there's few of us who do that. And those of us who do are very lucky. So good. I love it. And people can get your book anywhere and they can find you on Instagram at Macy Makes My Day. And where else can they find you online? Yes, I'm also HeatherAvis.com. And how do you spell Avis? A-V-I-S. That's probably pretty self-explanatory. One more question I have. As (laughs) I was reading your book, how do you say the short version of your name that your sister calls you? Because that kept throwing me. I wasn't sure how to pronounce that. Is that, does she call you he or head? Head. 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 Got it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So (laughs) that is totally unrelated to anybody listening right now, but I needed to know that I needed to have that answer. So when you read the book, you will thank me. Yeah. Okay. It's it's just head without the ER. I love it. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I've really, really enjoyed it. And um, I hope everybody will go out and check out your book and follow you on Instagram. Honestly, that's a great way. If you just don't even know how to engage, that's a great place to start. That's a good um, point. Yeah. So go do that. Macy makes my day on Instagram. Heather, thank you so much. Kat, thank you. I appreciate this. You have a great day. You too. Bye. Well, that's all that we have for today's episode of the Inspired to Action podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen. I know that there are a million things that you could be doing right now, and I hope that this episode has encouraged you. You know, if you have any questions or suggestions for me, just head over to inspiredtoaction.com and click the contact button to send me an email. I would love to hear from you, and I would love to do whatever I can to get the resources that you need to keep growing as a mom. And if you enjoyed this podcast, it would be awesome if you take a minute to rate it on iTunes. That's going to help more moms to find it and get the encouragement that they need. And as always, you can check out all the show notes for this session at inspiredtoaction.com. And you can also download any of our free ebooks or our free prayer calendars for moms at the blog. Just go to inspiredtoaction.com and click on the resources link. And my name is Kat Lee, and I wish you an incredible day with your family. And remember, you're a mom. You're kind of a big deal. Now go be awesome. It's early in the morning, the house is quiet. But I've set aside this time for you. I bow before the throne of a noble king. 
place my heart begins to sing It's gonna be a good day A good day filled with His grace His grace and sweet new mercy May my thoughts obey Jesus to walk in His way by His Spirit with each breath that I take It's feeling like a good day